Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the drop at DFT. We are in the final leg of our opening the umbrella season. Welcoming today, re-recording mixer Joe DeAngelis and supervising sound editor Patrick Hogan to the drop. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate you being here. Joe, I would love to ask you to walk us into the re-recording experience for you, not just on this show, but overall. Basically, I mix dialogue and music and group, which is kind of a, a loop group, we call it. And say you were at a restaurant and people were sitting at tables around you. Patrick brings people in and he records, you know, fake conversations for close people. And I kind of mix that in. That's what group is. A lot of people don't know what that is. My partner, Chris, he mixes effects. So he'll mix all of that sound design, all the hard effects, such as door closes, gunshots, things like that. The Foley, the people walk, which is the people walking around and moving props. And then our background tracks, which are ambience tracks. So if, you know, someone's in the country, you would hear a light wind and birds and country sounds and try to mix that to make it feel like you're in that spot. If you were in the city, obviously you'd hear a lot of cars, horns, buses, city traffic, you know, pigeons, things like that, city sounds. And so that's what Chris handles. Patrick's and he's responsible for delivering all of that to us. He gets all that work from his editors. He gets all the backgrounds, the hard effects, the sound design, the Foley, it comes from his effects editorial team. And then the dialogue, the group, the ADR, and the music come, everything comes from his editors except the music. We have a special, the music has their own department with their own music editor. So when that all comes to us, we basically start mixing, we'll put it together. And uh, Umbrella Academy is a four day mix, which typically takes us four days to get through the show. Uh, Umbrella is, is a pretty tricky show to mix just because the production sound isn't the best. Uh, the actors tend to mumble a little <laughs> and we have loud stuff going on at the same time. We have loud, you know, effects, loud music. There's always music going through the show. It's a, such a big part of the show. Uh, like on set as well or? No, no, these are all added. Score. Our, our composer, Jeff Russo, he'll, he'll, you know, he scores the show and then we have the needle drop music with the songs, you know, that usually are, usually is picked by the picture editor, I think, and Steve, when they're doing the cut, they'll pick songs that they want to use and, you know, we, we put those in. For me, I have the editorial head and finishing and like how we send things through. So like for color, for example, and in editorial, we have a LUT, right? So that at least things have a cohesive look going through. Do mm -hmm. you guys have something in the audio world that is like that to apply to all of the various pieces? Or how do you plan for trying to at least keep a similar tone or clarity? There, you know, there's certain things that have been established like Five's blink sound when he, when he time travels. That blink sound has been they designed that season one and, you know, we, we keep that. That's something that, that's pretty steady. The sound design and the backgrounds for all the environments have been the same pretty much, depending on time, uh, what period of time we are. You know, like the 60s, remember we went back that season two. So where the hell are we? back I think the question is when are we it's it's Patrick's team you know they know the locations if there's a constant location they'll pull the sound effects for that location so it does remain consistent in that way but then there's a lot of times that we go weird places where you're like what does it sound like here well I kind of meant more like how you said um, you know, the hope and goal is that they don't notice the difference between what was filmed in that environment or what was recorded in the environment versus ADR. Uh -huh. And that, so in 
visual effects, like we have nodes that carry forward to keep a certain look, uh -huh. or in color, we have this, well, we also have nodes in color, um, but to carry something. So I didn't know if that translates um, into the sound world. And Patrick, that might be your realm as well, or, um, and again, pedestrian here, especially with audio, if that is kind of like a, okay, we put the academy interior LUT on that ADR, or if it's always tweaked as it comes in? It's, it's tweaked as it comes in because, you know, different ADR studios sound different. So what it boils down to is just trying to match as close as you can. A lot of the trick about ADR is performance. It's the way the actor performs it. If, you know, if, if he's got an ad line and he's really excited and then he just reads the line flat, I mean, there's not a lot we can do with that. So Patrick's, Patrick's really good at getting them to give us the correct performance. And, and they'll do several takes and we'll have a circle take and we'll try that. And maybe Steve will be like, well, I don't really like the way he or she read that line. Do we have some alts and we can play them for him. And then he can hear all the different versions the way they read the line and he'll say oh i like that one and then i'll go in and try to match that so um yeah i mean we kind of it's you kind of cover your bases patrick's been doing this long enough he knows i mean they when you're doing adr and they're like wow i really like that take and then they get on the stage maybe a few weeks later they're like well i don't like that take anymore let's try something else and you got to have those those backups to put in because usually you know if you don't that's that's when the trouble starts <laughs> well patrick i think that's a great transition um into kind of asking you about that do you is i mean are you serving kind of almost as like adr director in some of those capacities then you know it uh i mean joe's right adr starts with the performance like, you know, you, if there was a performance dial on Joe's board, he could make a lot of money, but <laughs> and I, I love the performance, uh, but it starts with the performance. And if you, if you can't get the performance, it doesn't matter. You can have it match perfectly. You're going to tell just by hearing it or looking at it, that it's not matching, even if it's the right EQ and the right reverb and the, the lip syncs perfect. If, if it's a different performance, you can tell. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, and it depends on some shows, uh, the you know one of the the eps or, or someone involved or a writer or someone likes to direct adr and they're there and, and then in that case i'm kind of more paying attention to the technical and i let them uh do that but on some shows like umbrella academy um they trusted me and uh i've been doing it a long time i also direct so what what's helpful for me is i work a lot with actors outside of my sound work so i kind of bring i think one of the special things i bring more than than some supervisors and every another supervisor might have specialties in other areas that i don't but one of the things I bring is I'm really good with working with actors. So when it comes to ADR, I'm really good at knowing both technically and performance-wise what we need to make it match. And then also, like Joe said, done enough years to know that after you get one good take, don't walk away, get a couple more just in case, because, you know, you can say, you know, in a spotting session, a, a producer can say they want a certain thing, but you're, get, you're talking kind of in, in, you're speculating at that point. And when they hear it, then they'll know whether or not that was the right intention. So sometimes you might want to get other performances because they may have said, oh, I want them to be, you know, understated when they say this line. But then when they actually hear and see it on the screen, they go, oh, no, that's completely wrong. So that's when you're like, oh, well, we got these other takes for you to listen to. And that's when they're happy that, you know, that you were doing your job because you give them options. It happens all the time. And, you know, once you become seasoned in doing this, you know. Sound is so subjective. I, there's no right or wrong. You know, it's yeah. you like it or you don't like it. And one person might love it and the other person might not like it. And then you got to come to terms with which, you know, what you're going to do. And usually the showrunner, like Steve he or Jeff, they have final words. So whatever they like makes us happy. I have to also ask about the Footloose sequence. because that's a lot of work. And I don't know that everybody at home necessarily knows how much goes into that. 
you know, you discussed needle drops and it's the song coming in, but especially when it comes to sound editorial, I don't know how much people really understand then about something timing out, matching with picture, hitting a specific beat. And then even after that, how many tweaks still happen on the mix stage? Was Footloose a possible example of that? Or are there other sequences that end up, especially with music and sound effects coming in that you guys have had even bigger challenges than Footloose? You know, it's a musical number, but we also wanted to make it seem, you know, make sure that it, that you felt like they were really there doing the performance and the production sound wasn't usable because they were playing back the sound on speakers and yelling out commands and and all that kind of stuff. So we folded everything. If you listen very carefully, you can hear the little pitter patter of their feet and time to the music as they dance around. And we did some sound design for it. And that was an interesting uh, example where, so the music editor Lodge was given the track and he actually did an alt version where he, they had done like some repeats of words to kind of make the timing work out. Yeah. And he fixed it and made it work musically. And then when we played it back for Steve, Steve was like, no, let's use, I like ours because it, it's a different, like a remix of the song. And we went back to what they had originally done where they like looped words and kind of had a little stutter, you know, gotta, 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 gotta cut for loose. They did that kind of stuff. And it was kind of interesting that, you know, you can go either way. There's no right or wrong. It's, it's whatever works for the, the piece and, and what Steve wanted to do. Yeah, so they actually filmed that song. So, you know, that's, that's usually good it usually turns out well you know if they filmed the footloose and said oh we can't afford this song or we can't get this song we got to use you know whatever alternate song i mean then then it gets a little sloppy but uh usually yeah i mean picture picture editing is a big thing when it comes to those kind of things you want to make sure that the picture's hitting along with the song uh, yeah my job is just to you know transition into the song and out of the song and make sure the song sounds good. So, you know, that's, that, that's all I really have to do. I'm not so concerned about the timing. Yeah. We, we always say the first sound editor on a show is the picture editor or the assistant editor. They're the, they're, they do the first pass on the sound really. So they kind of set up a lot. So a good, a good editor, a good picture editor goes a long way to making my job a lot easier. Cause if they've done a good job at that, at the foundation level, then it's much easier for us to add on to it and kind of sweeten it and, and, and make it even nicer and sexier or whatever funnier, or whatever it needs to be. Um, but yeah, it starts with them. They provide the roadmap. And then in turn, Patrick will provide them with sounds too when they're cutting. They might say, oh, we have this sequence, you know, where the earth explodes. We need some sounds, you know, and Patrick will get his sound designers on it and they'll send it over there and they'll cut with that sound. So it actually helps us because then when it comes to mixing, they've already cut with that sound. They've already heard that sound. They like that sound and they're not surprised with some random sound that, you know, was generated for that. On April the 1st, 2019, the earth was destroyed in a cataclysmic event. Billions of people were wiped out in a matter of minutes. Ironically, the six survivors of the apocalypse were the very siblings who brought it on. It's good that you're tight with the picture editors and the assistants and they can go to him and ask for stuff or come to come to us. Like sometimes I'll get a dialogue scene and they'll say, hey, the sound's really bad here. Can you take a pass at it and clean it up? And we can see if it'll work because then we won't have to ADR the whole thing. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that going back and forth as the season goes along or even before we start. Uh, so, you know, Patrick's there on it. He's on it a long time before we are. Yeah, you're right. The, the more we can communicate and work out things ahead of time, uh, the better. I love it when they ask for temp because then it gives us, we know that what we're giving them will work for us. You know, oftentimes they put in temp stuff that technically isn't isn't usable by us, but they fall in love with it. So then we have to recreate that, you know, after the fact. So if we can give them material ahead of time, um, that always helps. And sometimes they sometimes they they get a little carried away. Uh, I got a request one time. We need a Spanish walla on a street in Mexico, 
and it's like mid 80s so it can't you know <laughs> and and the crowd needs to be somewhat happy but not to like it was like a paragraph along i was like oh let me just find that in my library here <laughs> usually we create those things ourselves you know that's when loop group comes in or something you know we bring in specialists to when we have to be that detailed yeah. um, but if they bring but it, but on the other hand if they bring that up ahead of time we now know hey we're going to need spanish speaking loop groupers and we'll prepare them ahead of time and we'll be able to we can give them exactly what they want as long as they give us a little heads up and notification to be prepared for it there were so many shout outs from uh amy k bostrom one of the editors this season, but had AE'd even on the first and second season, as well as probably the highest praise uh, from Everett Burrell, producer and VFX uh, supervisor. But it's just that VFX do not land without you guys. You are absolutely in every way a part of VFX then. And with that, tell me the journey of having Christopher speak. Christopher is represented by this little cube back here. <laughs> That's Christopher, of course. Number seven. Oh, don't mind him. He's in a bit of a saucy mood today. Man, that thing cracked me up every time that thing would come on. I, I would just laugh because <laughs> I know the story. Patrick's going to tell you the story behind it, but it's good. I'll, I'll tell the story. This I'm actually very, uh, of all the craziness on the show and all the explosions, I'm most proud of Christopher because Christopher was my baby. So that was a case of that great communication well before they turned over an episode. I got an email from uh, the producers, uh, Jason, Jamie Nice. I got, I got an email from them that said, hey, so we've got a new character this season. He's a stone cube who has, you know, uh, he has psychic powers and he communicates in like some weird language that no one can understand. And we don't know what that is yet, but we need you to design it and go. So, so when I first oh, so we, Jason Neese here and every sign off is let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it's like whatever it is, it ends with enthusiasm. Uh so so um when I finally got to see the, the first episode and see Christopher, they had they had for temp, they had put in like dolphin squeaks uh and like some chicken uh sounds. <laughs> And so when I, when I went to them, I said, so I, I said, so the first thing I get is that you want it to be organic. Like it's, he's not talking with like a synthesized, it's not artificial sounds. It's, it's real sounds. And they said, they said, they said, yeah. And I said, well, let me see if I can come up with something a bit more shaped and, and interesting and new and not just kind of like putting animal sounds. And so thinking about it, I thought about it for a while. And I, I, I said, you know, so, so Christopher used to be human and then he turned into a cube. So I'm like, but he still talks, but I'm like, but he doesn't have, a mouth he doesn't have lips right because he's just a cube so i thought so i thought you know in your throat if he has a throat somewhere hidden inside that cube he can still make vowel sounds but the lips are what make your consonants so that's what makes your you know puh, buh, tuh, you know all those sounds are from your 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 tongue and lips so i thought what if i had a voice actor what if we created lines for him that match what he's saying and seeing? Scott Menville is a tremendous voice actor. I think he's Robin on Teen Titan. Like he's really, really good. And so I asked him to come in. I said, do all these lines, but just say the, the vowels. Just go, instead of saying, hello, oh, I, I, you know, that kind of thing. It's kind of like with, with ADR, it starts with a performance. What makes Christopher so fun and cool is there's a real person acting those lines and giving you the emotion behind it or whatever it might be, which oftentimes the Christopher was a very smart ass. He was a smart ass a lot. <laughs> so he would say the lines, but just say the vowels of it. And then John Snyder, the sound designer, put a little extra special sauce on it to kind of give it a, a, a more foreign sound. And then the last step, we, we played that back for, for Steve and he liked it. He goes, I like it, but it's, I don't know what it's missing, but it's missing something. So then what I did was I realized he's, he's psychic and he's communicating with his mind, which means the whole thought is coming at you at once. So I was like, well, what if I take it and I reverse it and I cut it up so that each syllable is playing forwards and backwards at the same time. So then I flipped it and chopped it up so that each vowel was playing in sync, but forwards and backwards at the same time with the processing on it. And then I gave it to Chris and I said, Chris, make it awesome. And Chris provided the last little bit of 
mixing it such that it lays into the scene and feels like it's coming from you know wherever he was on the screen and and the 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 EQ and the reverb such that it feels like it's in the room as opposed to a recording. Hey, next round's on Christopher. Yeah, there was a lot of last minute stuff where you were like, where's Christopher? Where's he? Because for a while he, was, yeah. he wasn't even being shots and Chris is like, yeah, there. Oh, wait, he's gone again. Oh, he's there. So then, you know, the last, as the BFX trickled in at the end, we had to go back and track Christopher through a bunch of shots to make sure that. Yeah, that's right. They were like, oh, Christopher's supposed to be in the scene. He's yeah. not there yet, but he will be. And he, that's really, yeah, yeah. And then there was also sound, there was a separate sound. He's yeah. floating using his power. So yeah. there was a, a telekinesis sound that Chris panned with him wherever he went for yeah. the, the power he was using to hold himself in the air. Yeah. Even if he wasn't talking, yeah, he always had a presence. It's a, it's an energy thing. Everyone has their own very specific powers, though. I mean, obviously, except for um, uh, Lila, who can absorb everyone's powers. But clearly, a lot of that was established season one, season two. But then you have a whole new gang of powers in season three. Did that kind of feel like? okay, game on, and we are creating new, mixing new, tweaking new, uh, but also still trying to honor everything that has been crafted across environments and their powers. Like I'm sure the effect of when he says, I heard a rumor, and of course the blink and Diego's knives, like all of those were already established, but now there are so many fight scenes in season three. Walk me through kind of where you begin to tackle that. Well, it starts with Patrick again. I mean, it's all his design. And Everett, I mean, Everett's awesome. I remember I did a panel with him after season one and he pulls up his phone. He's like, wait till you see this bad guy next year. I'm like, what? He goes, it's a human body with a fish head in a fishbowl, you know, and he shows it to me and I'm like, wow, that's going to be interesting. The design starts with Everett and then it goes to Patrick and he susses this out ahead of time thankfully because if we had to do it on the stage we'd be there probably still mixing right now uh you know they was the opening joke that i was like wow i've never actually talked to uh, a sound anyone who wasn't sitting on a stage and then patrick comes in on the stage <laughs> <laughs> yeah one of us is stuck working today thankfully it's him <laughs> yeah i mean this year was a challenge with the sparrows and all the new sounds that came along with it and thankfully you guys had that all sussed out before it came to us pretty much you know there's always last minute tweaks because when you hear a sound effect by itself you're like wow that's amazing but then you have score and dialogue and other things going on too sometimes you lose a little of the definition or maybe the sound sounds different when it's placed in a mix so you have to make little tweaks patrick will deliver that stuff broken up for chris so he has several channels so maybe, you know, raise that and lower the energy sound or whatever he needs to do to make it fit in the mix. It gives flexibility rather than just, you know, here's your track. This is the sound of the guy. Because when you do that, it never ends up working out right uh, once you get in the mix. So Yeah, and, and to piggyback on what Joe just said, I mean, uh, in, a, in another interview, I called Joe and Chris the arbiters of taste because on the stage, you're the ones who figure out how to make it all blend together because they're being they're being given literally 150 streams of sound and it's like okay how do you how do you present this in a way that tells the story 300 and, and yeah 300 sorry 150 that i know of and then you guys have another 150 i don't even know about uh yeah because <laughs> yeah, i never think about music yeah uh, but you know one of the big battles especially on a show like this is the balance between sound effects and music you know and how do you how do you get the the emotion of the music to carry the way they want it while at the same time the sound design of whatever and so that's where um i mean and that's where having a really amazing mix team like these guys because the two of them almost intuitively after now they know each other so well they they will blend and they will they'll say like two words to each other or look at each other and like one of them will raise an eyebrow and then they do something you're like holy crap what did they just do it sounds great right like they 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 know how to do that how to make that balance uh play through but going to back to the sparrows, it, it starts with with so it starts with I meet with Steve and Jeff and Everett is there as well always, and you know they've already pretty much figured out what the powers are, 
and they don't talk in, in specific sounds, but they talk in story points that I can then translate into what those sounds would be. Uh, and that's, that's what always, that's what makes it work is, is getting the information from them that I can then translate into material for the editors that then translates into tracks that Joe and Chris can play with on the stage and balance and make work. So they were very clear about how Alfonso's, you know, power would sound. Okay. One they were probably the least clear about was Sloan, and that kind of developed uh, over time with her gravity uh, powers. But things like um, the sound for um, they're very clear it wasn't was it wasn't crows, it was ravens that uh, that uh, come out of her back, and and so we were like, okay, we made sure they were ravens. There's a small little difference between them. Give me the notes that then the editors and I translate into stuff that the guys can can mix in. So for when the ravens pop out and they become her eyes, is there a sound that switches us over into that? Into the POV, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a there was a little sound, and then I believe both Joe and Chris did a little, um, you know, we call it futzing. They did a little something on on the production track, and a little something on the sound effects to let you know that you're in a different that you're not hearing it from the same point of view as as the, the two real people you're now in the raven's point of view a lot of sound is meant to kind of like be stuff that you hear but you don't really realize you're hearing it's the power yeah. of sound you know you feel you don't hear. It's it's all about, you know, being subliminal with those kind of things. That is actually my my biggest fascination is the quote unquote absence of sound. So like when Luther's on the moon yeah. or when Vanya way back in season one or was it one? Yeah, like end of one when they put her back, when they show her in the confinement room, Yeah, you know, with with the padding and everything, those, and even this year with, with Pogo and going on that journey of him, you know, in these more, well, he's always been the esoteric kind of like quieter one, but these different environments where it's almost the absence of sound, those are the most fascinating to me. Patrick, where do you begin with working to kind of craft the absence of sound? Believe it or not, there are many times where it's the sound team fighting to take the sound out. And I think, I think it's because we, we recognize that the way you make loud scenes louder or perceived louder is by having silence around them. And, and, and sometimes going against what you've been hearing can be much more emotionally powerful. Like I remember there's a scene, a montage to a Billy Idol song where we follow all the different characters through the hotel. And they had had us put in all the various sounds and we fought for a long time. We kept saying, let's take it out, let's take it out. We don't need to hear the elevator and, and the doors and let's just have the music and the visuals carry it and give us a moment of just kind of, you know, being in their space. And, and, and we got that one, that one, that one, that one, they actually took it all out and it was great. Talk is cheap, so I'm told.
but looking for places for it to breathe. And especially if they want something to be loud, like I said, the best way to make something loud is to have quiet before it so that you have that contrast. Um, you know, sure. dynamics and sound, very important. Joe, Joe can speak more of that than I can because that's his life right there. I always tell people if you're going to a horror movie, just watch out when it gets real quiet because something loud's coming right after it. And you'll notice that. I mean, it's the, it's a, you know, it's a trick that we use all the time. It's like quiet, quiet, quiet. And you'll notice things start disappearing because they're, it's easier to have impact when you're coming from silence to a loud sound. Um, Luther on the moon. I remember when we first did it in season one, he did have, there was sound. I think Steve was the one that wanted to take it out. And we were like, it, it's kind of like, cool, you know, we're on the moon and there's really no sound up there. So some people, you know, would say, oh, we have sound in space. And some people say, oh, we don't have sound in space. And, you know, ultimately it boils down to what, what the creatives want. And uh, yeah, I remember taking it out there and ever since we there's no sound on the moon so we kind of went with that theme and we run it through the whole all three seasons so who's going to talk to me about destroying the whole world <laughs> it's a shame chris isn't here uh that, chris destroyed uh, the world chris that, chris yeah. was responsible for the destruction of the all all known universe and now he's on vacation <laughs> no um okay. the funny thing it much that, like five <laughs> That, that's that was always a battle that uh that ball uh what was that thing called again i forgot the kugel blitz, kugel blitz. that kugel blitz okay, how do we start? takes up a lot of room sonically and when you have people talking you can't just it's it very difficult to, to you know and music and the kugel blitz so you know, uh, that was a big one this year. That was that was one of our biggest challenges was when that thing would be cranking away and when it would have to dip away because obviously you have to hear the dialogue and things that are going on. And sometimes it would be a music moment in front of that. It, you know, we do have specs that we have to adhere to, so we can't completely just blow out people's speakers at home uh, <laughs> with sound. Um, it, it was the challenge. That was the challenge of this year was that Google Blitz and sonically getting it to feel right and, yeah, blow up the whole world. I mean, it's, it's a big deal. It's a lot of low end. People that have subwoofers at home when they're watching the show probably get a feel of it. There's a lot of low end being pushed in that in that sound, so you know uh, it's definitely a feel thing too. So I, if you do have a chance to watch it where somebody has a sub or move some air, it, you'll you, it'll you'll feel it. Yeah, that was definitely the biggest challenge, and that was one of those things along with Christopher where we talked about it well in advance, and we sent uh kind of samples we would mix some some versions of it and send them to them and kind of get feedback so that we didn't come in blind to that first episode so we had had many back and forth but it still evolved even after that on the stage because like joe said once you add the music you know once you add the dialogue you're having to to balance all of these all these different things we were like we're gonna have to get a bigger computer it had so many tracks to to create because what we ended up doing is we ended up taking a lot of the things that Snyder created, and then we actually ended up putting back in a couple of the temp sounds that 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 the editors had put in. Um, they were good sounds, but also they were sounds that they had been hearing from the get-go, and they kind of liked them. And to them, that felt like the the bit. So we kind of took what they did and built upon it. And so it ended up being kind of a uh, it was you know fifty percent what what John Snyder had created, twenty five percent what they had kind of worked on back when they were editing picture and then 25% of it was created on the stage as they talked about it after hearing it in context and saying, Hey, it's missing this or it's missing that and, and adding those in. And then, and then once we got all that, then taking out certain tracks, Chris would take out certain tracks to leave space for the violins or a line of dialogue or, 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 or what have you. And then once you got all that done, you got to find mix. And that's why it was a challenge just because it was such a huge scope and it required so many different passes to, 
get all the pieces right. The Lord, the Lord is upon me. Personally, I was very curious about Grace, the robot mom, and the fact that she is often juxtaposed with the big ball, like the actual Kugelblix in the in the fire. That for me, I kept wondering, like, I that's not a challenge I would have wanted to undertake. No, and you know, you know, after a few passes, you're like, wow, we can't really understand a word she's saying. So everything else just keeps coming down, coming down. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate. They don't film these things in mind, like, oh, hey guys, you're standing in front of this giant ball of energy that can annihilate the world. And they're having a dialogue conversation like they're, they're in the basement by themselves, you know? So those are huge challenges. And, you know, if, if you or I were standing in front of this thing, we'd be yelling at the top of our lungs because this thing is massive. Uh, so those were those are challenges that have to be overcome. Certain characters speak very low, <laughs> very very fast and very low. And you know when you have a lot going on, if you can't understand the dialogue, things you know you just have to start peeling stuff away. So yeah, that was a challenge when she came down with the flamethrower. I remember that in particular, that that whole scene. Um, a lot of times when we were in front of that Google Blitz, it was. It's, it's a lot of weaving, bobbing and weaving, you know, and it, you try to do it as smooth as possible. You know, you'll hear it, you kind of establish the sound and then you duck it away while the dialogue's going and you try to bring it back in between lines and up after the dialogue. And, you know, it's, it's just part of mixing. It's part of, you know, what are you focusing on? And obviously dialogue is king. So you got to focus on that and then try to figure out how to get everything else fit in around it. Uh, one of those, that scene was challenging. I remember when Five and the dad were sitting on the edge of the world there while that thing was falling apart. Uh, that was a pretty challenging scene. We did a lot of ADR and uh, in there to try to, the, the production sound wasn't great. And then obviously the world's crumbling behind them and uh, they're having a conversation, things like that. I mean, those are the most challenging for me. Actually appreciate some solitude. Mm -hmm. Seems I won't get any. Damn God. Mm-hmm. Louis 13 and 8. I've had worse. It is impressive, isn't it? All the ways we could have screwed the pooch. This way is the most complete. I'm relieved, actually. That's that's my those are my biggest battles to fight in this show is trying to make the dialogue play with everything going on around it. That was a hell of a scene. That really was <laughs> good. Thank you. Honestly, I gotta tell you, I, there was only so much I could handle of Harold and the like ringing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that, that was absolute torture. I don't know how you guys did that. Like it was the absolute right thing because I felt everything and understood that that's what he was going through. But, oh, holy cow. I was like, please don't do that again. <laughs> Any scene with five and Lila. Yes. There's invariably five. something loud going on around them every time. It seemed to have something going on. <laughs> well, it's that alone, like all the blinks that were happening because the two, I mean, I, yeah. again, I don't envy your job. <laughs> no, it, but we love it. I mean, the, the show is awesome. It's, it's when you sit back after the seasons. I, we always forget, you know, how challenging the show is until it comes back the next year and you're like, man, I'm worn out. I'm only three episodes into this. We have, you know, seven more to go. And I'll look at Chris. I'm like, was it this busy last year? You know, it seems to get bigger and bigger every year. It, it's a fun show. And Steve and Jeff and Everett are, they're awesome to work with. So it, and Jason and Jamie as well, the niece brothers. I mean, we love the whole crew. It's fun. And when we get to get together and have playbacks and 
we'll order dinner and we have this big conference room in, outside of our stage and we'll all be sitting around this big table, you know, just telling stories. And Steve will tell us about, you know, the challenges of when they were filming this and filming that. So it, it's really a good group of people. I, I enjoy working on the show. It's, it's tough, but it's fun. Who wants to bring us home with the teleportations? Because they sound so different. Which teleportations? There's a lot of teleportations. That's what I mean, though. So, like, five teleportations versus, let's just even talk about 310 alone and how much is going on while Hargreaves is in this virtual reality-type situation, and then they're all being beamed up. You know, Klaus has his version of it and being in the, you know, afterlife world and five and Lila can both tell anyone the briefcase there's they all feel so different it's effectively you know they're being moved even going down the tunnel like but they all have their own personality so far as the teleportation that's kind of a great summation of all the stuff we just talked about because it's it's at the spot Steve and Jeff are very precise like they I mean they that's what part of what makes i mean they're nice guys but part of what makes it great to work with them is they know what they're doing right and 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 it's so great to work with people who can speak eloquently on what they want things to sound like because then that narrows it down for me and allows me to move to the next step much quicker versus someone who's like i don't know just you know it should be kind of make it big or you know yeah. it should be fun you know they use these kind of loose adjectives that don't you know really help help you understand and and they they were able to talk very specifically even in, in in show 10 they actually pushed the mixes a little bit because they didn't want to spot the show with me and talk about it until the first pass of vfx everett had finished and put them in because they were like we don't want to just see you know the the, the first version i got is hargreaves on a green screen stage going like this you know <laughs> like there's nothing there yeah. So they waited, which was really nice. It, 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 you know, creates schedule and issues. But what was great was they valued sound so much. They're like, you know what? Let's not start the process until we can give you what you need to. So that's, that was great. I appreciate it. But they, they talked about all, all, every last one of those little things you mentioned. Each one was discussed at the spot, which then allowed me to talk to the editor. In this case, again, this is where getting John Snyder was so great because he had done the prior scenes. So he already knew all the sounds that already existed. So oftentimes I could say, look, this should be in the wheelhouse of something like what five does when he blinks, but it's a bit more um, energized than what he does. So, you know, kind of think about the blinking sound, but give it a bit higher energy, you know, like a high energy pitch to it or what, you know, whatever, or whatever the case may be so that each one sounds distinct, but Snyder having done the prior seasons was able to to quickly go, okay, I, he knows what the elements of the blink are. So then he was able to fabricate this this new thing for season three. But even about halfway through, he we were emailing each other and he goes, wow, I thought season two was big. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I was like, yeah, pace yourself, John. <laughs> we haven't gotten to 10 yet. You can, you know, you can talk about it in a theoretical sense, but one of the things about sound is, is sound is comprised of, of multiple frequencies coming at you from multiple directions. The power of it is that it affects you oftentimes that you've been realizing it, but also you don't know how it's gonna affect you until you experience it. So Steve and Jeff could talk about something and, and we could carry out exactly what they, what they wanted and Joe and Chris could do an amazing job with it. And then when they hear it, they go, you, you gave us what we asked for, but it's not right. And so then it was a process on the stage of, so sometimes you just can't, no matter what you end up at the end of the day it's seven or eight people on a stage kind of talking it through and, and, you know, kind of discussing back and forth what would make it work. And then I would create five or six options and give them to Chris and Chris would audition one at a time. And then sooner or later, one of them, and then everybody would go, Oh, you know, we got it. Guys, what have I missed? I feel like season three was so big and so giant that I could not have covered even a tenth of the ground that you guys worked on and brought to life with this. Am I missing a favorite scene sequence? Tell me. I like the one where Klaus kept getting run over by the cars. I thought that was 
Yeah, that was a funny song. That was, and, and as the VFX came in more and more, it got better and better. Because I remember the first time they showed him getting hit, it was like, mm, that doesn't look very good. And Steve's very, you know, he'll see that on the dub stage and he'll tell Everett, Everett, that looks good, except his legs don't look right. We need to fix that, you know? So they're constantly tweaking too while we are. I, I like that scene. I thought that was a fun one. And Klaus is amazing to me. He, he, you know, you put him in a scene with anyone and it's just, it's like magic. The guy's amazing. There was a lot of stuff in, in episode nine that I loved, which was by far the quietest episode because it was a chance. It was, again, the, the dynamics. We knew in 10 it was going to go big. Like we knew and we're like this. And nine was a chance to have the sound be a little bit more subtle mm-hmm. and some character moments. Um, there was some great ADR that was written. Keep telling them on the DVD, they should do an alternate version of the wedding where you get to hear Hargreaves' whole speech, the wedding speech that he gives, because they wrote the most hilarious stuff that we did in ADR. And it's it's underneath it, you know, because we're, we're having to, we're, we're with Victor and- uh, Allison. And, uh, Allison, thank you. And so we can't hear it, but it was like so hilarious. I was like, I would love an alternate version of this where we just played the whole speech all the way through. Because all these little hidden gems that people will never really- get to hear that we know are there yeah i love those little 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 easter eggs like that little sounds and and yeah he went on some some rambling thing right i remember trying to it was it was so yeah he he yeah he 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 talks about how he picked a poem to read but it was too dark and depressing and then he reads that poem that we actually hear which is like the darkest most depressing thing you could ever you know say at a wedding yeah he's amazing too holy cow his ADR, I mean, it takes so little, little effort to get in. I mean, that guy, you know, he's a theatrically trained actor and, and, and yeah. I never have problems with him. He always projects, you can always cut through. So, you know, again, if you can hear the dialogue that lets you play everything up around it. So, you know, it's, yeah. I, I enjoy mixing his track. It's always good. Maybe my favorite thing, which is something that can't be, be shared with the general audience is getting when i get to do eight hour with these actors you know uh the actors are short they're all so incredibly nice they're just really nice people like you only usually hear about stars when they're misbehaving and doing their you know silly stuff and these these actors are all just gracious and they want to do a really good job and they work hard and what you see on the screen is because they work hard they're not just goofing off like they're working hard to entertain us you know and what we what we see on the final screen even under the ADR, like like Joe said, most of them work really, really hard at their ADR as well. That's what I was going to say. I can't wait to take the mail on this because if there is all that extra like <laughs> ADR and other yeah. things that are picked up, the fans of this show, they're going to watch this and go, <gasps> I need to get in touch with Joe DeAngelis and Patrick Hogan right now. <laughs> oh, Patrick, not me. He's got it all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, and a, and a big shout out to Steve. Steve added the Cobra Kai Easter egg. That was Steve's idea, oh, not yeah, us. Steve. Yeah, that was Steve's. Steve's when, uh, he does the Cobra Kai bit in the back of the, when he's practicing his karate. Stan, Stan yeah. practicing his karate. Yeah. Yeah, Steve was like, you guys do Cobra Kai, right? We're like, yeah. He goes, let's, let's have him yell Cobra Kai there. so previous to this season we did a four-year consideration season we only got the editor for cobra kai zach arnold he sings your guys's praises as well and that was wonderful but now now i know you guys and i can reach out next year (laughs) anytime yeah this is cool when i was a kid and i was coming up and you know trying to figure out what i was going to do what i wanted to do for a living i mean it was you know I knew sound because a family friend of mine was a re-recording mixer and I knew, you know, I kind of knew my path to get there, but a lot of people have no idea. A lot of people, you know, that it's not talked about much, you know, the crafts are always like a mystery. So it's cool. I just did a thing with CAS for their YouTube channel and I have people reaching out to me all the time now. And it's like, that's so good. That's great. You know, because that it there's so much going on right now it's a good place to be and you know it it takes a little it it takes a little a lot of technical and a lot of creative 
in our positions. You know, technically you have to adhere to a lot of different specs and things, and you have to know how to maneuver around and creatively as well. So it's, you know, a lot of the people we work with are musicians. I'm an old ex-musician, you know, I noodle around once in a while, but when I was in the music business, you know, it's like, how do I get over here? How do I get to this position? You know, and having things like this where you can actually reach out to people that are doing it. It's great. I think it's a great thing. I think it's important that people understand that it's not just some director with a camera shooting and here you go. This is what happens. There's an army of people that bring this stuff to life. And uh, I, I think it's important that people learn about it. That has probably been the most heartening part about doing the drop. Yeah. We not only, you know, highlight you guys in the crafts on the shows, but obviously our own people who are then an extension of those crafts, those crafts bringing all of this to life. And to have people reach out to our team and just ask about how did you, I mean, of all things, we took so much mail on our what the fuck is dailies episode because <laughs> people had no idea that like you have to film it and then you have That's to process really it. <laughs> was and we did uh it was like what the fuck is geopost which is media management and how to you know get the files tweak the files send the like all people didn't realize oh if it's not analog and a physical thing anymore oh it's got to live in it oh a cloud is just another computer <laughs> there were just so many bits and pieces that people did not know that's a career you can have longevity in all these different forms and functions and passions and we interviewed tom damari and joe suzuki the vfx editorial for the umbrella academy and i don't think people realize how much goes into bringing a vfx insert to life it doesn't just happen on no. your computer or on a tablet and so yeah. this is so hugely important for us to get to talk to you guys and i can't thank you enough for making the time today Oh, yeah, it's, a, it's my pleasure. You're welcome. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And I, I hope and pray you take a bunch of mail on this because, because this was an incredible season. And I really do think you have opened a lot of doors and eyes to not just how exceptional your work is on this show and how it brings it to life, but how so many others can actually see themselves doing this one day as well. So... Thank you again. Congratulations and appreciate you so much. I look forward to the next time. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.